So we're continuing our study. We're jumping back into the series of Jesus' I Am statements, some of the most famous uh, statements that Jesus the Christ made. Um, And we have looked at, first of all, in a couple of months ago now, how the most profound thing about all these statements is that the statement of just those two words, I am, is Jesus claiming the personal divine name of the living God. In Hebrew, it's pronounced Yahweh. It used to be thought to be pronounced uh, Jehovah, but it, it means in Hebrew, I am. And it's the personal name of the living God. And it speaks about his uh, eternal nature and his personal faithfulness to his people. And Jesus claims this name for himself. And he says, I am. It's me, God in the flesh. And we also looked at how Jesus said, I am the bread of life. He's the one that satisfies us, who we're made for. And last time we looked at how Jesus said, I am the light of the world. And this time, again, a very famous uh, passage is where Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Now, we could spend forever on this, couldn't we? Uh, Because we looked at how the truth is bound up with Jesus being the light of the world and how we're also, hopefully, God willing, going to look at how Jesus said, I am uh, the resurrection and the life. We're going to be focusing today on how Jesus says, I am the way. That's the, the difference here. Hopefully, we'll cover the rest more fully in other sermons. But that's what we're really going to be looking at. What it means that Jesus says to his disciples, I am the way. In this passage, I don't know whether when it was being read, you picked up on how it's just full of comfort. This is a passage which is for our comfort. It's Jesus speaking, reassuring his disciples and comforting them. It's to do with giving them hope in what seems like a hopeless situation. To sum up uh, verses 1 to 5, Jesus is really saying, don't worry, trust me, it's okay, and it's going to get better. Now they were in a pretty tricky situation. A very daunting thing is going to happen the next day as we'll go into. But Jesus says, I know, don't worry, trust me. It is okay, and it's going to get better. And we live in a a cursed world, and it can really feel like that sometimes. It can press in on us, can't it? Uh, We can look at the news, and it's so evident that the world isn't how we'd like it to be, that we'd want blessing, we'd want just there to be life and peace, but so often in the world... And in our lives, there's, it's more like chaos, isn't it? And sometimes I can feel a curse myself. So it's not just things going wrong in my life, maybe illness or relationships breaking down. But so often I frustrate myself. There's that phrase, isn't there? I'm my own worst enemy. I stuff up my own plans. I forget to do things. And... It seems like there's a curse pressing in on me out there, but there's a curse in me, in here. And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And what that says in the positive, 
make sense of our experience in the negative. Because I can feel so lost, I can feel in a world full of lies, and I can feel dead on the inside. A cursed world. That's what it kind of feels like. But when we're lost, Jesus says, don't worry, trust me, because I'm the way. When I feel like I've believed the pack of lies, Jesus says, I'm here to be your truth. I am the truth, but I'm also your truth to bring you comfort and reassurance. And also, when I feel empty on the inside, dead on the inside, cut off from God, Jesus says, don't worry. It's okay because I'm the life and I'm for you. So this is all about comfort. Let's have a look at this passage. Why do I say that? Because those three statements can be kind of ethereal in my mind. It's like these abstract, theologically loaded statements that you could study in class, but it has no real impact on our day-to-day life. But this is centered in a deeply pastoral situation. What I mean by that is the disciples were going through a really rough period. This is in a long conversation that Jesus had with his disciples. It's the night before Jesus would be betrayed, beaten, and executed the next day. And Jesus had told his disciples this a number of times. And not only did he say that he would be rejected and executed, but also that the disciples themselves, they would reject him. They would leave Jesus. He told all of them that one of them would be the betrayer. They would betray him, and they didn't know who it was. Jesus picked on Peter, as it were, and said, you're going to deny me three times. And he told them all that because he would be uh, executed, they'd all be scattered. And this is coming up to the climactic moment when all this would take place. So you can think how nervous. It says, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. That seems like an understatement of what these disciples must have been feeling. They must have felt like their insides were in a knot, wondering what's going to happen. And is it going to be okay? Jesus says, don't worry, trust me. It is okay, and it is going to be okay. It will be okay. And unpacking this a little bit in the passage, Jesus says, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. It's to say, trust me. And then he reassures them about the future. My father's house, this is speaking about heaven, has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you. He's saying, don't worry, there's room for you in my plan. Yes, it's looking ugly right now, but there's a future hope. It will be okay. But not only that, but there's hope in the moment because uh, there's the current, present reality as well because Jesus is the way now, presently, that the disciples know the Father. We see that in the second half of the passage. 
But these, these disciples, they need to be comforted maybe more than most. But we all need comfort, don't we? Whether it's right now, in the current situation you're in now, or at some point in your life, I guarantee it, because we live in this cursed world, we're going to need to know this comfort and hope. We're going to need to know these words. I was listening to the radio earlier in the week, and they were discussing about all these young people. I don't know the age range, but they were speaking about mainly teenagers. But they were saying how many teenagers saying, I'm so unhappy, I'm sad, and I don't know why. And they were wrestling with this issue, thinking, why on earth is this? Why on earth is this? And it seems to be a trend. So many people I meet just don't really have any hope. What hope is there for us? Now, how do we make sense of the world we live in? And what does it mean that Jesus is the way? So, we've had a, a quick run through of the passage, but to really realize what Jesus is saying when he says, I am the way, we need to get a bigger view and a, of the sweep of Scripture to see why is it that we live in a cursed world? Why is it that we're lost? Why is it that we're in a world full of lies and that we're spiritually dead? Well, right at the beginning, it wasn't this way. Did you know that? When God created the heavens and the earth, everything that was seen and unseen, it wasn't the way that we experience things today. It wasn't this world of curse. It was a world of blessing. It was good. God created a good world. And he made something very good in that good world, which were people. He made Adam and Eve, the very first people who ever lived. And they were especially good because they were made in what's called the image of God. They had like the fingerprint of God, their maker, on them. And they were made to enjoy fellowship and relationship with the Lord, their maker. And they were to reflect the glory, the beauty of their maker. What an amazing purpose these people had been made for. And the Lord had planted these uh, two people in this amazing garden paradise that we know as the Garden of Eden. And it was an amazing place, flourishing of life. It had what's called the tree of life in it. It must have been such a satisfying place of rest and joy where work would be satisfying and where there would be no pain. But best of all, it's where humanity dwelt in harmony with the God who made them. That was their home. That was their, real, uh, that was their experience. But it didn't take long for our experience of this world to break in. What happened was Adam and Eve, that instead of believing in the person who is the truth the Son of God, they listened to the lies of Satan and they believed in the lies of Satan. They turned their back on God, turned in on themselves, and that's what we call sin. It's rebellion against God. It's turning away from God. 
And because of this, God sent Adam and Eve away, out of their home, out of the presence of God. They were exiled in the east of Eden. So they're away from home. So no longer having the person of the way as their Lord. And having that sense and feeling of home where you feel found, they were cast into this world where they feel like they're lost. And instead of believing and trusting in the person who's truth, by believing in the father of lies, they were sent into a world of lies. And, of course, because they were separated from the source of all being and life, God himself, then, of course, they were spiritually dead because they're disconnected, severed from their life source. So that's how the Bible makes sense of our experience. We live away from home, where we were meant to be. And we might think, okay, well, why didn't just Adam and Eve say, okay, we've stuffed up. Why can't they just head back into their garden paradise? Why can't they just waltz back in and everything will be okay? Well, the living God placed a cherubim, which is a posh name for an angel, I suppose you could put it. It's like this fiery, angelic soldier, really, which is a bouncer. And he was placed on the door to paradise, preventing sinful humanity access into the dwelling place of God, their home. And with this cherubim, there was a fiery, flaming sword that flashed every way it turned. There was this fiery judgment barring the way between sinful humanity and the living God. The access was absolutely denied for us to get through. And we might think, well, is that the end of the story? No, well, there's actually the rest of the Bible after Genesis chapter 3. So I don't want to... It's a really great thing to, with these glasses on, to pick up on all of the imagery of fire and how that's uh, passed through. But there's a couple of highlights that I'd like to bring to our attention to really drive home what it means that Jesus is the way back home with God for us. So firstly, in Exodus chapter 3, we referred to this passage when we started looking at Jesus' I am statements because it's where the angel of the Lord, the sent one of the Father, who we know as Jesus Christ, met an old decrepit man who was working as a shepherd in uh, Midian. He was fleeing from his life, for his life even, not from his life, uh, in, from Egypt. And this old guy is called Moses. And he's shepherding these sheep in the wilderness. Now as he's walking around, something catches his eye. It was this bush in the distance, and it was on fire. You think, okay, it's pretty weird, just no one around and there's a, a fire happening. But what was really weird is that this fire wasn't consuming the bush. And because maybe Moses was a bit of an inquisitive type, he went over to look at this site. What was going on here? And as he went over, the I am, Yahweh, the living God, spoke to him out of the midst of the burning bush. 
Now, when we first thought about this uh, interaction between Moses, this old man, and the living God, the I am, we were focusing on the words that were said about what it means that uh, Jesus Christ, the sent one from the Father, says, I am. But here I'd like like us to think about what it was actually that Moses was seeing. He was seeing this burning bush that was not being consumed and this angel of the Lord in the midst of the bush. Think back. Fiery judgment barring our way back home. And yet here's fire and it's powerless. It's not burning the bush. It's safe in this fire where this person, the I am is, there's a passage through the judgment, through the fire. And maybe you're thinking, oh, that, that rings a bell. I'd just like to quickly refer to, there's, there's another time when this kind of thing happens. When Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, some of the weirdest names in the Bible, they were in, I raced past them so I didn't have to <laughs> say them properly, but um, they were uh, guys in exile, they were Hebrews, and they... Uh, refused to bow down to this idol that this proud king has set up and said, everyone has to worship this king when someone plays the guitar. Everyone has to bow down and worship this image that I'd set up. And they refused to outright because they knew that there was only one worthy of worship, only one who was worthy to be bowed down to. And the king was upset at this. And as a punishment, he ordered these guys to get thrown into the fiery furnace this blazing inferno they were thrown into, this fiery judgment. And he ordered this fiery furnace to get heated up many times more than what it is usually. It was so hot, the guards throwing these guys in died. And yet, these guys who trusted in the I Am, they were unscathed, untouched by the fiery judgment. And as this proud king looked into the fiery furnace, he saw an amazing sight. He tells the guards, didn't we throw three people in there? It looks like there's four. And one of them looks like the son of the gods. They saw the angel of the Lord, this person, the I am, with them, making it safe in the fire. And just thirdly, to, because we might think, okay, so this person, the I am, he makes it safe. But by what means? Well, that's to do with the sacrificial system. And this really ties it in with the work that Jesus came to do. So what I mean by the sacrificial system is in the temple, there was the most holy place, the dwelling place of God. And this is a picture of Eden. To be where God is, is to be home. And that's where humanity wants to be. That's where we find our place. But we're barred by our home because in front of the most holy place, there's this thick curtain. There's this thick curtain preventing access. And amazingly, actually woven into the curtain, would you believe it, there's cherubim woven into it. If that doesn't say this is the judgment barring sinful humanity's access to the living God, I don't know what does. 
But there was a way for people to gain access to it. And it is through sacrifice. Blood needed to be spilt. Sin needed to be what's called atoned for. There has to be a punishment for sin because God is righteous. He wouldn't be a good God if he didn't punish sin. And so how is it that sinful human people like us can come back home to be with our Father where it requires sacrifice? The sin needs to be atoned for. And that's seen in the sacrificial system. But Jesus, the way, he is also the sacrifice. He makes it safe for us, as it were, to pass through the fiery judgment into our relationship with our Father because he himself has passed through the fire. He himself was the sacrifice. He makes it safe in the fire by being consumed in the fire himself. It is, of course, his once and for all sacrifice when he hung on the cross. Jesus spoke about this momentous event when he was looking forward to it. He called it a baptism. He called it his baptism. And if we had been there, and if we had seen the Lord Jesus hanging on that cross, we'd wonder, what is he being baptized in? To be baptized means to be immersed or submerged into something. Where it's Jesus being submerged into the fiery wrath of God that he didn't deserve, that wasn't barring his access to his Father. It was barring our access to his Father. And so Jesus himself died on the cross being consumed by the fiery judgment of God, but in doing so, consuming the fire of judgment for us. And to symbolize this, we thought about this uh, the other week. The curtain temple was torn in two. In the temple, as Jesus died, the, the curtain that was separating the most holy place, the sanctuary of God, and where people were, was torn down. That's to say, the way is now open. Access is granted. The fire is safe. So we can see that Jesus saying, I am the way. He is the only way. No one comes to the Father except through me because he is the only one who has taken on himself the judgment that we deserve, that bars us from the relationship with God. So it's only in and through the person of Jesus Christ that we're brought into relationship with God. Any other way is perilous. Any other way is, uh, is impossible. And we say that as well, don't we? That, well, it's the destination that shapes the route, isn't it? So if I'd said, um, well, this is to do with how controversial this claim is. Why is it that Jesus is the only way for salvation, the only way to heaven, the only way to be in relationship with God? How can that be? 
Well, it's to do with the destination. If I said, um, how do you get to Leeds? Well, there's, there's plenty of ways to get to Leeds, isn't there? You could get there by train, you could drive there, you could walk, it would take a while, you could hop, that would take even longer. But because the accessibility of the place is, is open, isn't it? And so however many ways, there's loads of ways to get to Leeds. But then if I said, okay, how do you get to the summit of a perilous mountain? How do you get to the top of a huge mountain? Well, the destination shapes the route. I imagine there's only going to be one way up that mountain to be safe. You could try hopping, you could try going up any which way, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do it myself. I wouldn't hop up any mountain, to be honest. But the, the destination shapes the route, isn't it? The destination to come back home with our Father is barred by judgment. And Jesus provides the only way for us. But because he's the only way, it also brings absolute assurance to us. Absolute assurance. Say, how can you be sure that you are saved? How can you be sure that you are going to heaven? You can be sure. It's nothing to do with how well you're doing, any of the, how well your Bible reading's going, how well you feel today. It's all to do with the way. It's all to do with the person who brings you to the Father and the Father to you. All our confidence isn't in ourselves. We just find that we're more lost than we thought. But as we focus our attention and trust more in Jesus, we see we're found more than we can, be ima- more than we can imagine. If we look to Jesus, we can know for sure. But this is all about comfort as well. And Jesus is, brings the comfort in that this isn't just a long, arduous journey. This isn't just for a future hope. But this is for a present reality. Because he is the way and the truth and the life. It's like to say he's the beginning and the middle and the end. If you have Jesus... You have it all. And we can have Jesus even now. Even now. The disciples could know it even then because they had Jesus. And what a comfort it is to know the Father now. Because the Father is brought to us even in the moment that we trust Jesus We see that, doesn't it? Because Thomas asks an honest question saying, we don't know where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he doesn't say, no one comes to the Father's house or no one comes to heaven except through me, which is true. But he says, also, no one comes to the Father except through me because this is a present reality coming to the Father. And so even now, we can know the Father's love in all of our situations. Now, I don't know what your experience with 
dads and fathers is because we live in a broken world I imagine it's not all perfect and it's going to differ from person to person but our heavenly father in Jesus is the most caring loving father you can imagine and he's with you now to comfort you think of think of the care of a father with a little one so maybe the little one stumbles over and grazes his leg the father's gonna run up to him wrap his arms around them he's gonna kiss it better and say it's okay because i'm here he's also gonna say it's not so bad it will get better it will heal and in a sense that's the comfort and hope we have now in our stumblings in this world we're going to hurt ourselves and get hurt by others but with Jesus the way we have the father who cares who wraps his arms around us in love who says i'm here with you now i'm here in it and so it's okay but also it's going to get better this isn't the end because there's the comfort of our future hope it was certain isn't it? jesus is emphatic that saying my father's house has many rooms if that's not the case i would not say i've prepared a place for you jesus prepared a place for you waiting can you imagine that at the end of your life there's going to be a place for you it's not going to be in the balance thinking am i in aren't i in your father who's been your father throughout your life in jesus is going to welcome you with open arms and jesus will be there to receive you there's complete assurance you can have but having that future hope is going to give us comfort now isn't it it's going to spur us on to continue to not lose heart but just to end there is a response that we need to to bear in mind here because it's not enough for us just to listen to this and to hear that Jesus is the way and the truth and the life it's not enough for us to even know this and recite it because they all need a response the way needs to be followed the truth needs to be believed and the life needs to be received and so as we're sitting there i hope and we'll pray after we've sang that we wouldn't just know this about jesus but as we know jesus personally we would follow him as the way we would trust in him in as our truth and that we would find life in his name